And that was First Class Beats portion of the Bruin XIX official mixtape. There will be a link to the full mix in the show notes below. Today, Nimit Desai talks to Ram Mahalingam, the former captain and founder of First Class Bhangra. I ask it to it. What was like the turning point where you realized that you can't sustain your team? Like you, you have to start something new where you're training dancers from the ground up. Like, was there like a turning point where you felt like, oh, now there's no way we can like move, like we can move forward as a team without doing this? It started at Berg Five, but I think it was Fever Four. I don't think we won Fever Four. I think we won Fever Five. Fever Four was an epitome of what could have been. Okay. Fever Four, everyone, everyone, like, and it that it, it is the only time in my opinion where. Everybody in the circuit at a single point in time has come up to FCB and been like, you should have done. Like, I loved what you guys did. Mm -hmm. And Fever 4, like, so many people came up to us. They said they loved it. But they were very clear mistakes. And what what it told me was what made Fever 4 better was I don't think the dancing talent at that point was better than what it had been in previous comps that that same Berg or even, like, different even even other comps that we've gone to that year. But what had happened was, is everybody on the fever, that fever team had come from Pittsburgh. Right. And like we had had an, a hand in their development from, you know, like from the top dancers all the way to the bottom, we had had some kind of say. And that made a huge deal because um, if you think about performances and you think about you think about anything you want to do, it really boils down to control. Like you want to have as much control over all variables as possible. You don't want to have like an out of town answer because you can't, you can't measure their, you can't measure their desire. You can't measure the reason for coming because, you know, I, I look at things like brew and I look at things like, um, like pal, like those aren't real, like pals on a real competition and brew at yeah. the same time is like a long weekend. Like how can you measure how somebody is going to be, in terms of their dedication, motivation for what you want to do from a team perspective. Yeah. So Fever 4 was really a catalyst for me to be like, okay, like we need to revisit the conversation about like, let's train dancers. Like what can we do to train dancers? Um, and that had been a question that had been aired before, but that was the, that was the moment. And when you think of independent teams and you think of successful independent teams um, and even like co-ed teams, the, the really what it boils down to is it is a group of people who live in the same place that, that think of goals for that team the same way mm-hmm. and approach things the exact same way. Like they don't, like if you were to go around in a circle, like we used to do a lot of things in FCB at the end of practice, we'd be like, okay, well, like, why are you here? Like why? One of the questions we would ask before a big competition, like Big Apple or Berg or Bruin or um, Bell, or, um, you know, Strugin. Like, like yeah, the question was always, like, why are you here? Yeah. And, you know, every single person would be like, we're here to win, or we're here to do really, really well. Yeah, like, right. that, one, that, would, that would translate to that. Okay. So, it was... So, do you think that's because you selected the right people to be a part of the team? Or do you think that's because you, as a team culture, were already so competitive that everybody who came in, no matter what kind of background they came from, they automatically mold to this sort of hyper, like very competitive, very winning oriented 
mindset. So it's really funny that you bring that up because it wasn't so much that we were very competitive. It yeah. was, we were really fun. Like we were a fun team to be a part of. Like, <laughs> like we, we lost a lot, but we had really big aspirations. We were trying to get there. And I think a lot of people bought into the fact that, okay, like, you know, Rom, Sid, Harmon, Punkage, uh, Rohan, like all these guys, like they have put in a lot into the team. At some point, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna break the right way. Okay. I think what really sold people was more so we were in a position where we had lost enough that we had gained a perspective on what winning is. I think what we were lacking for a really long time is how can we do something in a way that removes all doubt that we deserve to be champions? Like there's, there's teams that should win and there's, there's championship teams. And what I mean by, uh, what I mean by that is winning teams come to a competition they win and they could go back and then maybe who knows what they'll do at the next competition. But there's, there's championship teams like there's the SGPD and NJ. And those are the teams that we kind of modeled off of who would come to a competition they'd win. And they go to another competition, they win. And you knew when they were entering, it was kind of like yeah, a Tiger Woods. Like, yeah, it was like like we went to Bird, right, twenty fifteen. That was the first time I ever went to Bird, right, for Buckeye. And like, you know, we the lineup was like crazy. It was like it was like oh look at all these teams. Like we thought we thought that a uh, Tard Bunger squad, like CMU All Stars, we thought they were going to be sweet, but it ended up not turning out that way, right? But you know, we when we looked yeah. at the lineup right away, right, we were like holy shit, this is going to be crazy, right? Yeah. And so, but. There was not a doubt in my mind that when I signed up to the Johnny Warriors there, that they were going to win. And, 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 and that, that's no disrespect to FCB. That's just like, that, that's the kind of aura that they come with, where it's right. like the, every single competition they've been to up until this point, they've smacked everyone. So yeah. why would they not do the same? So it, 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 is, it is a measure of professionalism that we try to instill in the team. And I think what comes, what would really boil down to it with, with uh, Berg 7. So we won our first competition competition at Berg 7 and I think the difference between Berg 7, Berg 6, any other competition before was we realized that winning meant that there was a glass ceiling and you needed to break it and I I still remember uh, I'm going to call someone specifically I still remember Sahel Mehta from Fertile going Mm -hmm. he said first second and third he said first UVA second I don't remember he said third FCB he's like I really hope FCB wins third but I wouldn't be surprised if they don't play a viewer's choice. And I'll, he said something along the lines of like, I really hope they do well in front of their hometown crowd, <laughs> but I, I'm not sure, certain about it. And I remember that sticking with me because I, I thought of that and I remember going, how can we position ourselves in a way that makes us really, really competitive, right? Yeah. How do we make ourselves a team that from here on out is always going to be in the conversation for first or second? And I was like, okay, so we don't know what that is. And that that's a that's a huge thing for a lot of teams. They don't understand what first, second, or third means. They don't they don't understand what that means from a practice perspective. They don't understand what it means from an organization perspective. And it's a lot of things. Yeah. So I remember that year um, you know, bird practice normally had started up in September, September, mm-hmm. October, and we recorded, you know, like November was the cop. We recorded, you know, early September and we, you know, we, we did something. Um, I remember June of that year we practiced. We practiced June, we practiced yeah. July. The set was done August right. and we were ready to go for, for about a month and a half, two months. I remember three weeks in advance we were doing full run throughs. We were all going all out. Yeah. Um, 
And it was I, like I think I, I we felt the same thing, you know, like the the year like you know twenty fifteen we were every comp we would finish right before right, right? you'd be like okay well we did three full run throughs before we went to tech time so we're prepared right I mean that, that, in the end that's some BS you know like like yeah. how how well do you really know the set if it's not you know muscle memory is something that I think people take very lightly you know where it's okay I did this so I will do it again right where it's not I have been doing this so now I will do it again right and I say that because CMU before we got good at Brick Seven was dominating and like one of my best friends was captain that team Amr and he actually was the one that kind of talked to us and was like you know you guys really need to have an identity in terms of what it means from a segment to segment perspective, what it means from a choreo perspective. And we took that to heart. And he, but what we had was CME was really good. And what we noticed about them was at that time, it wasn't so much that they were tremendous dancers. It is that they had tremendous preparation. They knew what, they had an idea, they had an inkling of what success were, were to look like, yeah. and they replicated that at, from competition to competition. So, and so what you're saying is less of like, you know, maybe the identity of your team is less like, okay, how what kind of segments do you build as it is, you know, how hard do you practice? What kind of right. culture have you developed? You know, like what do, do people that have danced, have, that have danced on your team, are they all in the same league in terms of dedication and motivation and that kind of stuff. And Burke 7 was a thing where we were done with the set like two months in advance and that was what success looked at but it, it really boiled down to some long range planning and it's interesting because I feel like a lot of co-ed teams, I feel like a lot of independent teams really sacrifice that long range planning of what success is going to look like mm-hmm. um, for very short term and immediate games. Like you, you look at teams like you look at teams competing in Bruin yeah. Teams can be in Bruin. Like, you have dancers who've never danced on that team. You have dancers who come from all over the planet, like, just to come and dance for X, Y, and Z team at Bruin. Yeah. And you wonder why, okay, like, the performance value might be great, but the, the actual, if you were to objectively judge some of these Bruin teams, you're like, right. how are they winning first place? Well, that's kind of, wait, that's kind of hypocritical of you because you dance for Mob Sydney. Right? So, so I dance for right? Mob Sydney. That's, it's yeah, good that you bring yeah, that up. Right. I dance for Mob Sydney because they don't have anybody else. Okay. And I told them actually when I was in Sydney, I, I was there to judge a competition. I was like, I want you guys to actually look for a 16 person in Sydney. I'd rather not dance. Okay. Because I, it's yeah. It, so, so you want you want to frame yourself like the hero right now. He's not a hero. <laughs> so, you're, so you're the Batman that swooped in and, and, and you saved the performance. You no, no, allowed it, Mob it, it Sydney is, to it come. Is, it is not anything like that. It's good, it's good that you bring things up that way because... No, I'm just fucking around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know you are. But like the thing is, is a lot of teams don't make that sacrifice because it really is... I'm not the hero, yeah. right? I'm actually kind of the villain because there are a lot of times dancers who are from the area who have been involved or want to dance for that team yeah they get discouraged they get discouraged because the team is like okay we want to win this comp i'd rather bring in x y and z person from out of town rather than rather than you to like to start giving you like a little bit more pointy questions uh i'll talk to you a little bit about your relationship with sid right sid's like your you know you it's like the, the you know Batman and Robin, whatever order you want to put it in. Right. Right. And so um, you guys have been dancing together for God knows how long. You guys are both, you know, you guys have been making this team from the ground up. 
And I, and I, I think the biggest question is, you know, how have you been able to work alongside Sid? Because we've all had an issue where we work alongside someone, we disagree, we have an issue, and then we're, and then maybe we're not able to push through it, right? You guys have been doing this for so long, and you've even admitted that you disagree on like everything, right? right? You, you don't agree on anything. And so, how do you go about, uh, you know, making a set? where you have to agree on something, or you have to agree on a culture, you have to agree on all this stuff. You know, how do you go about working with that person for so long? So Sid and I have been an interesting relationship in the sense that um, we have been working and doing bunkers since high school. And high school is probably before most of the people who listen to this podcast have been, been alive. Yeah, right. Um, but <laughs> it's interesting because it's not so much that we intimately disagree. Like, it's not that I look at Sid and he says something and he's like, I'm like, fuck that guy. Like, I'm like, yeah. oh my God, that's terrible. That's a terrible idea. Right, right. It's more so we are looking to figure out, you know, we have very, we both have the same goal in mind to be very memorable, but at the same time, we're thinking about it in very different ways. Um, and what I mean by that is, no, I think I'm very much more from a choreography perspective, like this choreography by itself should stand on its own. Sid is like, if you think about choreography and formations and more so formations, like what is the effect that you're going to leave with an audience member? And what that means is we do a lot of back and forth. And there have been a lot of times where I have gotten heated. Sid has gotten heated. We swear at each other. We get mad at each other. But what we do is a lot of times it's just the two of us, right? And we'll ask for opinions. We'll ask for outside opinions. Okay. And, um, what that does is if, you know, if people are more and more with Sid's idea and they're not more with mine, can't, can't do anything about it. Yeah. And what it does is it gives me perspective in the sense of like, okay. so now you have a team that believes in the set that you're making. Yeah. So we've, it's, it's been rough sometimes, yeah. but it's been a good relationship in the sense that like you should really just, you really should just air out everything. You should be very, very open. But once a decision has been made, that's it. You, that's it. Yeah, that's it. You, you can't say anything against that. Right. Once you're once you've been transparent, and I feel like a lot of people are very passive aggressive. I feel like people are just like, all right, fuck it. I'm not going to say anything, but I'm going to be yeah. like, I'm going to hold a grudge. Don't do that. Yeah. Be open. Be open. Even if it, yeah, yeah. even if it makes you stay up late one night, like at the very least, once you've decided it, yeah. everyone is on the same. You guys have always had you you said a three person captain dynamic. Yeah. Um, do you think that's the best way to run the team? Because there's a lot of people that have it bored. There's a lot of people that have a lot of people involved in the decision-making process. How important do you feel like it is that you have one or two people making decisions? How important do you think it is to have, you know, uh, uh, the support of your team? How how do you guys get people involved? I mean, the, how much of a democracy really is it? And how much of a dictatorship really is it? So we are an interesting perspective because we are beholden to what the team wants. Okay. And... I say that in the sense of, I think Sid and I, when we were captains and with the other captains, we had a perspective on what we thought was great and what we thought good looked like, Mm -hmm. but we are only as good as what people believe. And every single time we are trying to present our view of what excellence looks like and what a championship team looks like, we've always had to say, sell it to our team. And it's been it's been interesting because you know like we aren't really a dictatorship we're not really also like a democracy we don't we don't have everybody vote what we do do is we set a time and a place for when decisions can happen we we give a timeline 
and we allow everyone to opt in and opt out. Some people are going to be like, okay, I don't care. Yeah, right. <laughs> we believe in you. Yeah. I'm going to opt out. Do whatever you want to do. Yeah. Exactly. And then we're going to have some people who are going to opt in and be like, I believe in you. But at the same time, I believe in myself and I, I want to give an opinion. I'm going to opt in into the decision-making Got process. It. Got it. And that's important because I think at the beginning, so I, I started off by dancing on a co-ed team. I danced right. in Steel City. I was captain right. for three years. And right. it's three years a long time to be captain of a, of a co-ed team. Yeah. But what really, <laughs> what really brought, yeah, bro, I, only brought, made, I only made it two. Yeah. <laughs> what it really brought out in me was you have to listen to everybody and you have to give some thought in terms of what are they trying to really say like anybody could come up with an idea they can come up with something but you know we started putting limits in terms of okay maybe maybe your, your idea might be great but show me what that means like you'll be like okay if we should do this formation we do these moves i'm like okay teach it to me like yeah. think think through the entire end product and yeah. show me what that means okay. and what it mean what it does is it puts people on the spot if you're not going to think through it well, yeah. okay, that's not that's not a big deal. We'll think th- we'll think through something else and we'll move on. If you are going to think through it, we'll both see the floor. Mm-hmm. We'll see you do it, and then people will give some perspective, and then you'll understand where you're coming, what we're dealing with from yeah. our shoes. Yeah. And what it does is, I think a lot of times it it really provides perspective to people in terms of, okay, we're going to provide input, mm-hmm. but at the same time realize that you're going to get this kind of feedback. These people are going to step up. You know, you're going to have to think like formations through. You're going to think of like if person A in formation A is different than person B in formation B, what does that look like from an, yeah. from an end person perspective? Yeah, yeah. And um, we really encourage that behavior because we wanted people to think big picture as well as their own individual details. Like you have a choice. You're going to opt into the big picture, which means you think a lot more. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, that might put a lot more stress on you. Or you can opt out. Right. You can do whatever you want to do. Yeah. But whenever you raise a question or you raise your voice, it's not going to be as hard as someone who's been... Yeah, who's really thought through the idea. Who's exactly. seen the whole thing all the time. So I guess we'll, we'll like move a little bit away from, from first class and stuff. Um, one thing I want to talk to you about is, you know, you've been a judge recently. Right. Right. And so, you know, you've been a, you've been a dancer, you've been a captain, and now you're a judge. Right. Um, how valuable... And, and, you know, this is... At first, this is probably going to be you know, a weird question to ask, but... How valuable do you think judges' feedback really is? Because it, you know, we, there, I think there's always a time where people will say, "Hey, you know, establish your own team culture, establish your own identity, and just go for it." But then, as a judge, they'll be like, "Hey, you didn't do this the way I wanted you to do it, right?" And so, you know, wh- how how do you sort of balance either way? How do you feel like it? How do you feel about it as a judge, and how do you feel about it as a captain? So I think judges' feedback is only valuable if there is a single pane of glass between competitions, judges, and teams. And what I mean by that is I think it really boils down to competitions to tell people and judges and teams what it means to be successful at that competition. And what I mean by that is perfect example is Bruin. Yeah. You, like, know, you know what it is. You know what it is. Right. Bruin community makes sure that teams that win Bruin follow like the Bruin, follow the Bruin rubric. Right. right, exactly. And it's maybe it's not maybe it's not a one to one with the, what the rubric actually says, but it, the judges are picked in a way and and told in a way and teams are told in a way that you have to you have to stand out. And what I mean and what I think is important is 
if competitions don't step to the plate and be like, okay, like one of the questions as a judge, I ask competition organizers, I'm like, okay, if I were to judge a competition, you know, to invite the best teams from North America, Europe, you know, Australia, et cetera, who would win? And they give me a name and I'm like, okay, well, yeah, now what, that I'm given a name, yeah. that's the competition. Right. And you can't cheat teams out of this. Cause I feel like what happens is a lot of times you walk in eggshells and comps and like judges are like, Oh, like you do this, 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 that's horseshit. Like mm-hmm. you, you want to be prescriptive. You want to be like, you want a competition and tell the judges, like, I want this. Yeah. And some competitions are good. Some competitions are bad, but competition at the end of the day should understand. Okay. Like, if we're going to invite Nashi Giovanni mm-hmm. and we think they're a good team and we want yeah. them to win, they should win. Or we invite FCB, like, we think they're a good team, they should win. Oh, that so, should so, be... so, so that's how you guys have been winning. Is that, is that what you're saying? Is, it, yeah. is this the truth coming out? Is, I mean, like, we, we yeah. call is the comp you... organizers and we're like, all right, hey, what's what do you think? Yeah. And like, ah, you guys yeah, are yeah, a shot. Yeah. And like, fuck it. Yeah. But no, like, the thing is, is judges and competition organizers should have a very tight, in very symbiotic relationship in terms of judges like the rubric should be phrased like this because mm-hmm. you said you wanted this. Right. And the competition should be like, okay, fuck, fuck, fuck. You're like, screw that. Yeah. Like, I want this. And that should happen. And then you communicate to the teams. And because I think at the end of the day, right, like as a competition organizer, I get it. Like you want certain teams to win certain comps because you're trying to market things in a certain way. Right. It's a business thing. Yeah. But I feel like what's happening is a lot of times competition organizers like judges like judge however you want to judge. Right. And what that does is it's a huge loophole because some judges will look at the rubric and be like, okay, I see the rubric. Like I'm going to judge this way. And some judges look at the rubric and like, screw this, screw yeah. this rubric. I'm going to judge my own way. Right. And you need to be prescriptive in terms of like this is what first place looks like. Okay. And this is what winning looks like. And, but so then, you- but then as a captain, like how are you taking that feedback? Right. Because like I go to the meeting, right. I get told, hey, this segment wasn't up to par. Right? I have faith in the segment. What do I do? That's a good question. Right? I think at that point, if you have that kind of synergy between captain or between judge and competition organizer, you should really question why did I apply this competition? Did I did I apply because I because I did I wanted this? Did I think I was gonna win? Right. If I didn't win, then Maybe I should think, rethink either A, why I applied to this competition or B, maybe there is something that I need to think about in terms of the entirety of the set. Because a lot of times I think what happens with judges is that they don't speak at the set level. They speak at the very individualistic level. Yeah. And those things kind of add up. Right. And that's, that's, that's a tricky part. Like, uh, you know, I, I guess I, I get that. You know, when you go to a, when you go to a judges meeting, right? The last thing you want to hear is yellow Jordy messed up at this in this segment at this time because it's right. like, bro, I can watch the video, right? You know, like I have eyes. You know, so I it's, can it's see really that. interesting you bring that up because at VPD, I don't know when, but I remember at VPD we had Ranjit from NJ was judging, and okay. he told us there were four mistakes in your set that cost you a placing, and he would what he all he said was you can watch the video, yeah. And you can see the you can see the mistakes for yourself. You yeah. know, I'm not gonna walk. I'm not gonna talk about it. Yeah. So he talked about Josh. He talked about bouncing your shoulder. He talked about Mode. He's like, you should have Josh. You should. But he never talked about the mistakes. Yeah. But he said those mistakes were a big reason why you didn't place. So I like it when. So my judging is patterned off of that. Like okay. you don't want to hear something that you already know. Right. And I think. And I think that's a that's a big disconnect with. Um, 
with some judges where they, where they, they shy away from giving teams stylistic critiques. Right. Right. Cause they, they don't want to, they don't want to seem subjective. Right. And so in a sense, um, it's hard to get that kind of information out of somebody. Like you gave me a critique once that I talked about in another podcast where I was like, you know, show yourself to your mom and see how much they remember. Right. right. I remember that critique. Right. And I, I still remember that critique. And I, I use that critique when I make our set, when I make sets now. Right. And, and so, um, you know, I think, I think that the important thing out of that is, you know, you can't be afraid to give a stylistic critique. Right. You can't. Because, because the, the competition invited you to give stylistic critiques. Right. You were, were picked by this competition. You were, you were, all of the team said okay to you as a judge because of your ability and your style. Right. So why are you not giving a style? Right. You need to, you need to, you need to come and not, and, and not vastly and not provide no value. You need to have a point of view. Got it. Got it. So I guess like moving on from, from you were a judge in North America and now you're a judge in Australia with Harbor City, like you were talking about. Right. Um, you know, how different do you feel like the circuit really is abroad? How much do you think that, that Bangra changes from region to region? And, and, and do you think that those, that, that stylist, if there is a stylistic difference, that, that is something that's, that's going to be important down the road, you know, when we have international competition? The worst thing is when you judge internationally versus when you judge North America, internationally, they'll have great ideas. They'll have amazing ideas. Things you probably wouldn't have th- thought about in North America. And that's true. Like, the yeah. different country. It's a different continent. Yeah. But the biggest thing is, like, teams will turn around and chop in Australia. And they won't hit angles. Yeah. And you think about that. And you think you, you go to a blowout. You go to, like, a small company. You go to, like, Bunga Fever. You go to, you know, like Got Bunga, which is, like, a first-time yeah. comp. And you're, like... If a team didn't hit chaw lines, yeah, turning around in a slow chaw with Kunde, yeah, it's game over. It's, it's game, game over. Yeah, in a, in other countries, in other continents, that's par for the course yeah. because people value it's something completely different. Well, they value creativity. They value a certain thing. And you think they value creativity over the actual dancing cleanliness? I'm not saying they value that. What I'm saying is, I think they prioritize. Certain things. I don't think I don't think it's a value based. I don't think they're all like, okay, well, we're not going to hit line. I, mean, yeah. they, I think they try to hit lines. Yeah. But I think if you were to give them a perspective, and and I and I, so, so I, if you gave them a choice between, hey, you want you want creativity or you want formations and lines, they're going to pick creativity every time. They're probably like, okay, I'm going to run this chaw like five times. Y'all, you all probably know what that should look like, but I'm going to focus on something else. I'm going to hit this really sick choreo concept. So what happens in the day of the show is they're going to hit this sick, really, really sick choreo concept, but they're not going to turn in child altogether. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. No, definitely. You know, last couple of things. Um, I I think one, one thing I did want to ask you about, FCB has been extremely successful for five years, right? So the past five years, ever since, you know, Berg 7, you guys have been on an absolute rampage, right? Um, now, I think some teams, and, you know, you can correct me if you think this is not right, some teams might see FCB as arrogant. And as, a, as somebody competing against them, I feel that from them, right? So, you know, do you think that that sort of, I'm going to put arrogance in air quotes, even though no one can see me do it, right? Um do you think that that's something that people that that is a positive for FCB? Do you think that's something that even happens with FCB? How do you feel like people have been able to take success and continue to push themselves? Do you think that because you've been successful, 
that there's a worry that you might might be complacent. So that's that's a lot. I think there's a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah question. a lot of questions. But here's what I want to say. I, I think it's important to be egotistical to some degree okay. because I think you need to. I'm going to quote Under Armour when I say this, but you need to protect this house. Like wow. you need to. Wow, dude, that was. No one's going to quote an Under Armour commercial, <laughs> but I'm going to. But Amazing. the thing is, is you need to have a little bit of ego. And I say that because there's a lot of elite teams that have a little bit of the ego that they expect to win. Right. Um, I don't think you should obviously destroy anything yeah. or create a huge <laughs> ruckus if you don't win. And there are specific teams that do that. But I think what yeah, really, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Man. No, that, I mean, that seems like, it's never happened. Like, in the it, I don't. I don't know who would possibly destroy anything. That seems but completely out of control. I, and I think but do you ever worry about complacency with your dancers? Because you guys have been successful. You, you, we just talked about this. You place first or second at every comp since like Bird Seven. I mean, that, that, to think about that just for a second, four four and a half five years of just continued to, like that that pisses me off. Right, like as someone that's competed against FCB, that yeah, makes me angry, right? But do you ever worry about okay, your dancers are at a point where they've only known success, right? A lot of your new dance, well, a lot of your dancers in general now have only known success, right? So how do you think that that? How where do you think they get the motivation from? You know, how do it's you it's tough. It's tough. So complacency and the motivation are two different things, in my opinion. Okay. So the complacency, I'm worried about personally because I think. The old FCB team didn't really care if he won or lost. Like I think by Berg Seven, Berg Eight, like the that year after Berg Seven, we we're just like whatever. Like it just doesn't matter. Like we've lost so much. It's just like we'll do whatever it takes. We'll just try random shit. Yeah, we'll right. see if things work. Um, and that's a worry now because I feel you know there might be, and it's not just limited to FCB. I think it's for every successful team, any team that has been successful. There is a worry that if you step away from the formula, it's not going to lead to success. Yeah. And I think that's why when you look at SGPD, so a lot of people put SGPD on a bad stool. Like, and NJ is great. Don't get yeah. me wrong. NJ, I love NJ. I love what they do. I love how they re- reinvent themselves. But SGPD went from being this really, really traditional team to being this like really yeah, like crazy totally team. Totally out there. Totally yeah. out there. And But they pushed it every single time they went on stage. They pushed yeah. it. Um. And I worry about that because you never want to be in a position where you do things the same way because it's a tradition. You want to do things, you want to have a similar approach, but you want to differentiate yourself. So you want to always be different. You want to always have a sim. You want to always have a different flavor. That every time you dance, people are t- people have a different response right. to what you. And, and that's at a team level, right? That's at a team level, but but at an individual level, right? So like, let's say we take you know. So who's any random person who's been dancing at FCB a while, whatever, right? Some some person who's been dancing at FCB a while, and they they've been they've been placing at every comp that they've been to the past three years, right? How do you when you go to try and motivate that person to succeed, you know, how do you know that they're going to that they're going to take this in stride? How do you know that they're not going to sit back and say, well, every single competition I've been to, I placed first or second, so why would I ever as a dancer think that I need to achieve a different level? Yeah, that's it. That's that's good. That's a good question. I think there's a team dynamic in the sense of we want to you want as a dancer to be better than X, Y, and Z person. It's not it's not intri- it's not something that we've done in practice where we're like, okay, you need to be better. You need to be better than Sid, or you need to be better than Rob. Yeah. But there's always like, okay, as this is the a set is designed for this person. So in FCB, what we do is we typically we take. 50% of our dancers. If we dance 12, it's it's the sixth person. If we dance 
16 is the eighth person and we added one. So we're like, okay, we take the seventh person, we take the fifth person and we're like, okay, how good are they? Yeah. We'll make a set for them. And we're like, everyone needs to be able to dance this set by next comp. So that's one of the things that we do to make sure that, you know, like, even if you're really cocky, like it's going to push you. And, and, and do you, and I think that promotes a lot of competition internal of the team, right? So when you go to, when you go to practice, do you feel that kind of competitive drive between dancers, right? Like, oh, I want, I'm me and this person, me and my Jordy are in the front. I'm going to wax this kid, right? It's, it's not so much that as much as it is. We make it in a way like, I don't want to, I don't want to be bad. Oh, okay. Because it's like, we're, we, we rotate so much. Yeah. So yeah. we put an impetus on everybody. Like, I, we could take the worst dancers on the team, mm-hmm. in our opinion, and we put them in the front and we're like, okay. Yeah, well, it's, it's your time. <laughs> yeah. It's your time to shine. Right. And the goal is, you know, you're in the front. Don't fuck up. Yeah, right. And it's that's that's a thing that is not something that a lot of teams do. They, they, I think a lot of teams like put the same people in the front the entire time. I'll, I'll yeah. say this about Buckeye. Yeah. I think Buckeye, like you guys, put a lot of te- a lot of the same people in the front the entire Definitely. time. Definitely, But it's like you have to incentivize people and say that okay, we're gonna put you in the front. You do what you want to do. Yeah. You're either gonna suck or you're not gonna suck. But we're gonna put you in the front, All right? And we're gonna push you and the entire team gets behind it. Yeah. And so rather than it being a comp- competition between people, it is like 10 people are telling two people who are in the front being like, okay, you need to do this right. Yeah. Because yeah. you need to be better than you were the last time. Right. And if you're not, then A, we're going to figure some shit out or yeah. B, we're going to put you to the grinder and you're going to get it right. Yeah. So it's like, it's, okay. it's this huge culture shift from, Let's compete against each other to, we want you to succeed, yeah. but this is what success looks like. Right. You, Please you do this. put the burden on their shoulders where right. the team's success is now dependent on you. Right. right. And, I, and I, I agree. Like, you know, for Buckeye, you know, I didn't always design formations that we rotate every, like at a certain point, everybody will get time in the front. Right. But how often that happens? I mean, you know, that, that, I mean, in the end, it was because, you know, I felt like that was going to give us the best chance to win. Right. Whether that happened or not, you know, whatever. Thanks for tuning into the Bunner Podcast. Be sure to leave a like and subscribe on Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to these podcasts. Um, once again, your feedback is more than welcome. Our conversation with Ram got cut just a little short, but if you want to hear more from him or more on the same topic, be sure to send us some feedback um, via Facebook, Twitter, you know, whatever social media site you prefer. Thanks again, and hope to see you next time.